the goal of all of this, that at the end we rise with his likeness and not our own, that we look every day more like Christ. Pastor comes now with the word. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for leading us in song. Thanks, Barb, for playing and for not playing. Didn't you enjoy that little bit of a cappella run there? Um, what, a, what a blessing it is to sing songs that are based in the Word of God. You know, we say that often. I, I, I tell you again and again that we sing songs. We must be careful what we sing because we want to sing that which is true, that which is accurate, that which is uh, good and sound doctrine. Uh, because if we don't sing good doctrine, those things kind of stick in our minds. They stick in our heads. And, and we want to respond to the th- life the way God would have us respond as those things kind of pop into our struggles and difficulties. And music is one of the ways God uses and blesses and works in our lives to encourage us and to help us with the struggles of life. Um, and I've, I think I've told you this before as well, that I don't usually tell Barb the songs to pick. In fact, she picks them months ahead so um, we can work on them uh, on on Wednesday nights and be ready to sing them. Um, But the one song that we sang, Beautiful Savior, just before this last song, um, it it actually goes amazingly well with our message this morning. Let me just remind you what we sang. Uh, I long to be where the praise is never ending. I long to be there, okay? Yearn to dwell where the glory never fades. That, that word yearn, what comes to mind when you think of that word yearn? It means to have a deep desire, a great longing. Um, and so uh, that's where we are this morning. If you look at the screen, you'll see the title of our message is A Burning Desire. A Burning Desire. What is it in your life that you desire? What do you long to have? Has, has anybody ever asked you the question, what do you want What do you really, really want? Now, perhaps your mind is starting to spin and think of what it is that you're longing for in life. What is it that you really, really desire to have in this life, in this world? You know, when I was growing up, and most of you growing up as well, didn't have this thing called social media Okay, it's something that's fairly new to the, the game. And so as we think about social media, maybe you've seen some of these memes that have popped up on your Facebook page. I don't use Twitter, so I don't know if things pop up on Twitter or not. But uh, there's, there's some things that pop up on Facebook, and it's, you can only choose one of them. Okay, maybe you've seen some of them. Uh, and the first one that, uh, that I have here, you can only choose, it's it's titled a kid's pill, something you can give your kid and make your kid do exactly what you want it to do. You could choose the pill to be invisible. Mm. Would you like to do that? But you can only choose one. You can't choose more than one. You could choose to read minds. How many would want to read minds? I don't really want to read minds. That's, that's not anything that really is my fancy. How about a million dollars? What could you do with a million dollars? Would you rather have a million dollars? Would you rather be invisible? Would you rather read minds? Um, and then the last one is marry or crush. I did, so I guess I, I'm good with that one. Maybe that's, uh, but anyway, so that's, that's one of the memes on, on Facebook that you can choose only one. Another one that uh, I've seen, maybe you'll identify more with this one, is restaurants. 
okay? Um, there's a couple of restaurants here. Chick-fil-A. How many would, if you could only choose one restaurant, Chick-fil-A would be the one that you chose. You know, when we go out to the Midwest uh, from time to time, we always look forward to that because we would stop at a Chick-fil-A. You, you couldn't, there weren't any around here, but now there are, right, Carl? There's a Chick-fil-A uh, not too far away. Uh, Carl was there last night, okay? Um, but Chick-fil-A is one. Starbucks, I'm not a Starbucks fan because I'm not a coffee drinker. Um, but anyway, Starbucks, Five Guys, you ever been there? I finally took my wife to Five Guys. She kept asking me, Five Guys, let's go to Five Guys. I'd been to Five Guys a couple times, and I said, well, if you go to Five Guys, you have to be ready for a heart attack. <laughs> Serious. I mean, the first time I went to Five Guys, I went with my cousin. He had come down to help us do some work around the house, uh, and my two sons, we went to Five Guys. Um, and the peanuts are nice, the, you know, the hot roasted peanuts right there in the bag. But I'm telling you what, when, when, you were, when you got your French fries from Five Guys, it also came in a bag, you could wring that bag out afterwards. Okay, um, and, and so I said, no, I, I, I really don't want to go back to Five Guys because, you know, it's just, it's not the healthiest place to eat. Um, and then there's uh, Pizza Hut. Eh, you know, I used to like Pizza Hut, but I think Pizza Hut's gone downhill. Uh, so I wouldn't be one of the ones that I choose. Um, and then there's Jimmy John's. Ever been there? We went there in South Africa once. But not, we haven't been to one since we came back from South Africa. And then Chipotle. Um, you don't want to go to the one on Erie Boulevard. You might get shot while you're there. But anyway, um, Chipotle is, you know, it's one of those, um, one of those restaurants that uh, if you like Mexican food, it's, it's pretty good. We've been, I think, once to a Chipotle's um, because my daughter went there uh, and wanted us to go and experience Chipotle, okay? So you, but you can only choose one of those. I guess if I had to choose from those six, it would certainly be Chick-fil-A. That would be the one that I would choose. So, Carl, you're in, you're in good shape there. I'll come visit you sometime uh, on a Saturday night there. How about this one? I can certainly identify with this one growing up. Um, which candy, if you could only choose one candy for the rest of your life, what would you choose? I mean, there's candies there that aren't there, that you can't buy them anymore. But anyway, there's sweet tarts, you know, those are, those are okay. Chipina M&Ms are up there. Um, uh, you know, Twizzlers, I'm a Twizzler guy. I like to, I like to eat Twizzlers. When I was growing up, the first, ho- first house we lived in, in the North Country, we lived in Brazier Falls, okay? And Bra- this house was a big old, old house. It, it had one of those where you, the milkman used to open up his side on the outside and put the milk in there, and then you would open up on your side, and you would take the milk out and put it in your cold storage. It was before you had refrigerators and things like that. The ice box. You know how the ice box came about? Because they put big blocks of ice in the bottom of it to keep everything that was cold inside of it. Okay? We didn't have an ice box, but we did have this cool little thing that was on, in the wall, built into the outside wall. They had closed up the outside, but the inside, you could still open it up. And that was my candy cupboard. Okay? And so whenever I was able to get candy at the store, I would stick candy in my candy cupboard. The problem is, it never stayed there. You see, my grandpa lived with us, and we lived with them. I'm not sure which way it was, um, but I was five years old. And every time I would go to my candy cupboard, there wasn't as much candy in there as I thought there would be because grandpa also knew what was in that little cupboard, okay? And grandpa had more of a sweet tooth than I did. But uh, if I had to only choose one candy... Uh, it'd be either Twizzlers or Juju stuff. I'm a big Juju fan as well. Uh, I love Juju coins. I'm not so big on the Juju fish, 
but they're, they're okay in a pinch, all right? Uh, how about this one, Life, some lifestyle perks, okay? Um, which would you choose? You can only choose one. You get eight hours of interrupted sleep every night. I know some newborns uh, and their moms would probably choose this one, okay? How about your house cleans itself? All by itself, you don't have to do anything, your house cleans itself, okay? Some would choose that. Your kids... Now, we live, you can put this up here now because it's different when we were growing up. If you didn't eat what your mom put in front of you, you didn't eat, okay? But now, it's not so much that way. Your kids eat everything you serve them without complaining. How many moms would want that? Um, okay, and then number four, someone runs all of your errands. You'll never have to run another errand again. My wife has that built in already because um, I do the errand running for our household. But anyway... My wife says she would take number two. Okay. Um, anyway, you can choose one, but you can only choose one. And then here's another one. Um, these are some more perks that are more personal. Um, number one, no traveling charges for your lifetime. You can go anywhere in the world you want to go. You don't have to pay a penny. Uh, it doesn't say anything about TSA or any of that kind of stuff. But, uh, but you can travel without any charges. Number two, free food for a life. Doesn't have to be pizza, but whatever you want, free food for the rest of your life. And then number three, your dog to live as long as you. I would choose that a couple of years ago before um, my dog Ollie died. I would choose Ollie to be the dog uh, that lived as long as I live, but he's already dead, so I'm not interested really in number three, uh, at least at the point we have right now with the dogs we have right now. Um, anyway, we'll go ahead, and there's one more I want to show you. Um, you can choose one, but only one. All right, up here is grilled cheese, only if there's tomato soup that goes with it, okay? Um, or a tomato sandwich, how many people would just choose? I've never had one. My, now, my neighbors do. In fact, we grow, we grow tomatoes in our garden for our neighbors to have open-faced tomato sandwiches. Um, it wasn't such a good year for tomato sandwiches, though, this year, was it? Because we only had these tomatoes that were about this big around. Anyway, tomato sandwiches. Bologna and cheese. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I go to the store and I buy bologna, but I very seldom make a bologna sandwich. I prefer to eat my bologna without any bread. I just roll it up and eat it. That's why I've trained my grandchildren to do the same thing. How about this one? BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. You can choose only one, so make sure you can choose the one that you want. You know how much I love bacon, right? But I'm not a lettuce and tomato fan, so no bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich for me. Peanut butter and jelly. And my wife still eats it. I, I can't tell you the last time I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's not up my alley. An egg sandwich, I'm not even going to go there um, because it has, it has mayonnaise in it, and I'm not a mayonnaise fan, okay? So if I had to choose one of those, it would definitely be the grilled cheese, but I also like to put meat in my grilled cheese. And if there's tomato soup to go with it. Only choose one, though, okay? So here's the idea. You, you, you can only choose one thing for the rest of your life. We're kind of in that situation here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is telling us what that one choice should be for the child of God. And sometimes, even as believers, we get our focus on the wrong things, on material things or on temporary things. Peter wants us to understand what our desire should be, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ. I think songwriter Walt Hanna captures this 
uh, very well. If you've ever listened to the Haven of Rest Quartet, uh, that's kind of an old-time gospel quartet. Walt Hanna used to sing with the Haven of Rest Quartet, and he used to write a lot of their songs. So listen to the words of this song that he wrote. It's called Soul Desire. Um, and, and those of you who are tuning in from South Africa, we used to sing this a lot in our church. I don't think we've sung it here yet. Uh, but anyway, it starts off with the chorus. You're the soul desire of my heart. You're the soul desire of my heart. I s- still more with every passing day as things of earth just fade away. I come to know the joy of loving you. You're the sole desire of my heart. Lord, speak to me. I'm standing still. I come to hear. Reveal your will. I'll listen to your voice and then obey. You're the sole desire of my heart. As a child of God, that should be our desire, that Jesus is the sole desire, the one thing that we desire. Um, Hannah records this. It's, it's kind of like a prayer, if you will, uh, the words of one who desires to have this burning desire that Peter's talking about in chapter 2. Lenny LeBlanc You may know him, he's a little more contemporary guy who also captured a similar prayer in his song entitled One Desire. I listened to this song, I've never heard it before, but I was Googling songs about this, and um, I shared it with somebody in our church family, and I said, when I I heard this song, I thought of you, it's Wanda, okay? Uh, And and you want to pray for Wanda, she's she's really struggling right now um, with the Parkinson's, It's, it's continuing to advance in her life. But her desire has always been since I met her to promote the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to make him known to anyone she has the opportunity to make her, make him known to. So this song, uh, it speaks of that one desire. Lenny LeBlanc says, if I could have one desire before my life is through, even in my darkest night, my life would shine for you. No matter what's going on in life, no matter how difficult it is, that my life would shine for you, Jesus. That's my one desire. If I could stop the hands of time or make a wish come true, I would tell my heart to burn with fire for no one else but you. This is my one desire. You are my saving grace, anchor of my soul. In a world that's turned upside down, I want you to know if I could have one desire before my life is through, even in my darkest night, my life would shine for you. If I could stop the hands of time or make a wish come true, I would tell my heart to burn with fire for no one else but you. This is my one desire. You are my faithful friend, the one that I lean on. You always understand. With all that I am, I'll give you the deepest devotion I know. With all my strength, I won't let you go. As I look to you above, I will give you all my love. One desire. What is your one desire as a child of God? These are a couple of songs that really communicate to the follower of Jesus that his single-minded desire is to know him better and to live for him more fully. Would you stand together with me as we read uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2? We're only going to look at three verses together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It's up on the screen, so if you'd read together with me, uh, we can honor the Lord by the reading of his word. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking... 
as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Please remain standing. I'm going to read also from the ESV, same three verses. It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we open your word together and ask that you would bless us with your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us and encourages us as we read your word and helps us to be obedient to your word. We pray that as we learn together from the pages of scripture, uh, that our desire will be to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his blessed holy name, the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So we're looking at First Peter chapter 2, and we are trying to focus on the things that God would have us learn from this passage of Scripture. We've been working through, and we've got through chapter 1. It took us a while, but we finally got through chapter 1. If I were to ask you, and I won't put you on the spot and make you give me an answer, but if I were to ask you what has been Peter's focus so far in chapter 1, um, you would probably answer to me the focus has been the Word of God. Okay, As we think about what Peter is challenging his readers when he was writing way back in the first century, or challenging us as we read it now, uh, being the preserved word of God for us to grow through, we would say Peter's focus has been on the word of God. And you know what? It doesn't change when we get to chapter 2. It's the same. So uh, the first thing we see here in verse 1 is reliance on the written word. We've made a distinction in the past between the written word and the living word. The written word obviously is the pages of scripture, the 66 books that we hold in our laps today. Now, please understand that this that I hold today, it's a New King James Version, is not actually inspired text, okay? We believe that the word of God is inspired, but we believe that to be true for the original writings of Moses and Paul and the prophets and those things. But we also believe that our all-powerful, all-wise God has preserved for us an accurate copy of the Word of God. So as long as the Word of God that we choose to read and study has uh, has is been through the scholarly process of being translated from the original languages to English and we're holding in our hands a literal copy of a translation, not a paraphrase, not a, uh, something like that, then we can stake our lives on this book. That's how confident I am. And we tell you here at Calvary Baptist Church that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. That's our goal. That's what we strive for because we believe that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, has preserved his word for us and we can read this word and we can govern our lives by this book. Um, Absolutely no doubt that we hold in our hands a reliable translation. As I said, as long as it has been been gone through and 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 the scholars know the word of God and they're they're godly men. We don't want any less than um, those who have 
were used by God. Peter says the holy men of God were born along by the Spirit. We want holy people to have worked in the translation process of the copy of scriptures that we hold in our hand. So you and I can rely on the written word of God. And in fact, we should rely on the written word of God. Why can we do that? Because we know the living word of God. Jesus Christ, who said, I am the word We can count on him. We have a personal relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, then you don't have that personal relationship and you really won't understand the written word as you read it. It'll be confusing to you. But if you know the living word, then you have an understanding because the written word was given to us by none other than God himself. So Peter tells us this morning, he wants to bring our focus back to where we were uh, in chapter 1 and remind us that we must rely on the written word of God. You remember last Sunday that we talked about this word of God, and at the end of chapter 1, Peter brought our attention to the fact that the word of God has a purifying impact on the child of God. You can't apply the word of God to your life and not have it purify you. If it's not having that purifying effect in your life, then you're not reading it and applying it properly. We also saw last week the prestige of the word of God. Peter described it not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. There is nothing that can compare to the written word of God. And then he closed out the chapter with the idea of the ongoing permanent nature of the word of God and its work in our lives. You and I need to let the word of God continue to be effective and impactful in our lives. Yes, it was written hundreds of years ago. We won't argue that. We won't debate that. But you know what? It's still just as relevant today as it was when it flowed off the pen of Paul or James or Moses or whoever was uh, the book that you're reading from at the current time. The word of God is living, it's powerful, it's active, it changes lives. And it changes lives for all of eternity. So you see how chapter one begins, therefore, or depending on what translation you're using, so, which brings us to the fact of our first point this morning. We need to rely on the written word of God. It cannot be stressed enough that the work of God in our lives, whether it's for salvation or whether it's for growth, it happens through the written word of God. That's what Peter is telling us. Those who are born again are, are marked by a love for and a commitment to the word of God. Jesus himself reminded us of this in John chapter 8, where he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And in verse 32 of John 8, he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The word of God is the truth handed down to us from God himself. In Psalm 1, the psalmist declares that the blessed man delights in what? The law of the Lord. And in that law, that blessed man meditates day and night. And he wasn't just talking about the first five books of the Bible when he says the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is synonymous for all of the scripture that God has given to us. 
You see, the child of God should be dependent on the word of God. That's why we say the word of God is our sole authority for faith and practice. If the child of God, if each person who is a part of Calvary Baptist Church is dependent on the word of God, then we are letting the word of God govern our lives, direct our lives, dictate how we should live life. The word of God is dependent Because it came from God himself. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah that he penned in chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, So shall my word The word of God, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The New Testament book of Hebrews has something very similar to declare to us. We read there, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It is easy for us to draw this conclusion, my friends, that it is the right thing for us to understand God's word is the absolute most important thing in our lives. Can I tell you this? We do not need anything outside the word of God to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies our great and merciful God. It's all here. Everything we need to do life the way God would have us do life is recorded for us in the pages of scripture. Would you agree with that? I see some lips saying amen. I hear some amen. Yeah, the the word of God is absolutely key for the child of God. Here's Here's what Peter wants his readers, including us, to know. The gospel is not only powerful enough to save us, but... And when I say the gospel, I don't just mean John 3.16. I mean the word of God. The gospel is powerful enough to help us live life the way he's called us to live life. I was reading an article this week from Bible Studies Tools Weekly. And in this article, it says, The gospel, a continuing requirement. Here's some good thoughts on the ongoing work of the gospel. It's not the whole article, but just parts of it. It says, Christians need the gospel because our hearts are always prone to wander. Ever been there? We sing a song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Okay, the the Christian is prone to wander. We're always tempted to run from God. It takes the power of the gospel to direct us back to our first love. Consciously going to the gospel ought to be a daily reality and experience for us all. It means, as Jerry Bridges reminds us, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. We have to follow God to remind us every day through his word of Christ's finished work on behalf of sinners in order to stay convinced that the gospel is relevant. You see, my friends, because of the work of God and the word of God in our lives, we understand the need that Peter addresses next. What's the next need? Well, the next need is found in the second part of verse 1 where we see laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. We must be working at removing sinful attitudes and actions in our lives. 
We must be working to remove sinful attitudes and sinful actions. Remember, Peter's writing to believers here. He's writing to Christians. He's telling them that you must lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, everything that makes you jealous, and all evil speaking. So what do we see here? We see, first of all, the act. The act that Peter is calling the child of God to. You and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, Peter says, this is what you must do. You lay it aside. As a child of God, we should be working at putting off these sinful activities in our lives. The phrase laying aside here, or putting off, comes from the Greek word apothemeno. Okay? And, and I, used, I preached a sermon one time, and I had a big cast iron pot. Uh, and it has the idea of putting, putting it aside, literally taking that which you're struggling with in your life, putting it in a pot and putting a lid on it and not letting it out. That's what you do. You put it aside. You get rid of it. Comes, uh, it means to completely reject it, not to have anything to do with it. When Paul used this word in Colossians, when giving a similar list of vices, he used it in a way that meant to put off soiled garments, That's the kind of repulsion we should have for these attitudes and actions that we need to remove from our lives. Can I ask you a question, those of you? Now, we have grandkids, and they come to our house, and uh, two of the three are still in diapers. Okay? So when when we change, and I I don't do it very often. Uh, Usually somebody beats me to it. Um, But when we change the diaper on our grandchildren, especially the stinky ones, we throw them in the garbage. There's not a special place that we put to save them for any, any, any reason. There's no reason to save them, right, Kirsten? So, so we put them in the garbage, and as soon as possible, we take the garbage outside and put it in the bin outside, because if you leave them there overnight, they're going to make the house have this distinct odor. And it's not a pleasant one. When we lived in South Africa, we didn't call them diapers, we called them nappies. And when a child was, had a stinky diaper, uh, they would say, they've soiled their nappy. So what was the next thing that you had to do? You had to change the nappy, you had to get rid of it, you put it away because it stunk! It wasn't a nice smell. That's what Peter's talking about. You put it aside, you get rid of it, you don't keep it for future use. It absolutely has no value. These things that Peter's talking about have no value in the life of the child of God. In fact, you know what? They don't have any value in the life of anybody. So what are the things that Peter says we must address? We're supposed to lay them aside. Well, what is it, Peter, that we're supposed to lay aside? Well, it's malice. We get rid of malice. You know what malice is? Malice can be translated as wickedness. It's an evil that delights in another's hurt. Okay? As a child of God, we should have nothing to do with something that we know hurts another person intentionally. And when I mean hurt, I don't mean telling the truth to to help a person understand that they need to change some things. That's not the hurt we're talking about. We're talking about the hurt that has no no benefit, no purpose. It's it's just you do it because you're, you're spiteful. It's wickedness. Put it aside. Get rid of it. Don't let it be part of your life. He goes on. He says, out of malice comes deceit. Deceit is guile or slyness. A good picture of something that is a deceitful practice is 
and I'm a, I'm a, I like to hunt, and I like to do stuff outdoors, and, and, and I like guns, and I like knives, and I like all that kind of stuff. So it's not against the act of doing this, but it's a good picture. When we were younger, uh, my cousin and I, we got into trapping. Not a lot, but a little bit. We got into trapping, went out and bought some traps, um, spring-loaded traps. And, you know, as we, as we set these traps, we would put them by where we saw animal tracks, Okay, and then as we as we set them, they were ready to go off. We would take some leaves and we take some other stuff and and just kind of cover up the trap. Why? Because we didn't want the animal to see it. If the animal sees it, he's not going to step on it. What's what's the goal of a trapper? To catch the animal, right? So when the animal gets caught in the trap. We go and we deal with the animal and we skin it and we sell its pelt or whatever. Okay, the, the trapper here, he, he's hiding the trap. He doesn't have it out there in plain sight. He maybe baits the trap. We used to put something in the trap. You know what works good in the trap? Peanut butter. Because the animal gets there and it starts licking and starts licking and peanut butter's sticky. It doesn't come off very easily. So he keeps licking and the next thing you know, he's stepping in the trap and <laughs> snap. You got the you got the animal. You got what you wanted. But what what did we have to do to get the animal? We had to trick the animal. We had to practice deceit on the animal. As a child of God in human life, we shouldn't be deceitful. We shouldn't try to deceive one another. We should be open and honest. There should be no place in the life of the child of God where you try to deceive somebody or trip trick them and trip them up. He says, out of deceit flows envy. This envy is the idea of lusting after another's good fortune and blessing. You see that God is blessing somebody in a particular area of their life. Oh, I want to have that. I got to have that. What, is, what are they doing to make that happen? And so you strive to try and uh, maybe even steal that away from them. Instead, as a child of God, we should rejoice with them. We should be happy for them that they are receiving the kindness and the goodness and the blessing of God. There's nothing wrong with us getting the blessing of God, but we shouldn't go about trickery to try and get it because God's not going to honor that. He also says, from envy comes evil speaking. This word covers many things that have to do with talk. Things like slander, defamation, and just plain old bad talk. You see, as followers of Jesus, our speech, listen to this closely, our speech should not betray us. As followers of Jesus, we should not say things that would make the world think that we're one of them. I remember when I was in high school, there weren't a lot of Christians in my school. I went to a public high school. And I didn't always speak as boldly as I should. You know, I did this thing. I, I, I actually worked in the cafeteria so after a while, so I didn't have to worry about praying in the lunchroom because I ate by myself and nobody was around. But sometimes before that, I would go, Jesus, thank you for the food, amen. You know, you know like I was trying to hide it a little bit. Yeah, I, I wasn't in the habit of having bad language. I, I didn't curse, I didn't swear. But, you know, I might tell a somewhat off-color joke, so I would fit in a little bit. Our speech should not betray us. 
when we speak, we don't have to use the curt language, the curse language, the, the vulgar language, the, the words that the world uses to communicate. How many times have you sat down to watch a TV program and you've had to change the channel because of the vulgar language? It's common in the world. They use it all the time. But we don't use it as believers. Scripture is pretty clear that we need to use language that edifies, that builds up. So we don't need those four-letter words. We don't need those vulgar words that describe body parts. We should speak differently from the world. And the world should see that our speech is different. Whether it's what we say about others What we say about others should always be true. It should be kind. It should build them up. It should not defame them. Or simply our vocabulary. Cursing and swearing and gutter type language, that should not come out of the mouth of the child of God. Or from our fingers on social media. One time, I don't know if my mom's watching or not, but one time my mom posted, there was nothing wrong with the post itself. But the person who made the post or the group that made the post had some vulgar name in their, in their title. And I, I, I said to my mom, I said, did you, did you see who posted that? And she was absolutely, I did not see that. I, I wouldn't have posted it. You know, she didn't actually type the bad stuff. But I, can I tell you something? I've seen people post on social media things that are not honoring to God. And, and not glorifying to God. And, and, and I go through and I hide those comments. Because I know I'm showing up on my news feed. So if you post something on social media that's not nice, not edifying, you might see that I've hit it. Because I don't want others thinking that that's something that I endorse. So as a child of God, we must be careful not only the things that come out of our mouth now, but the things that come out of our fingers when we use these little gadgets that everybody seems to have now. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. I'm not telling you not to speak the truth. But we don't have to be vulgar in the way we speak it, or even mean or, 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 or unkind. You know, Jesus, <laughs> I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about Jesus having, God having a sense of humor. And, and Jesus told the truth. He told the truth about the Pharisees. Remember what he called them? One of my favorite things he called the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. How would you like to be buried in a used tomb? That's what he called the Pharisees. It wasn't a nice, necessarily nice thing, but it was true about them. But it wasn't his habit of saying vulgar, mean-spirited things. He spoke the truth, and you know what? He spoke it in love. And you and I, when we speak the truth, sometimes we have hard things to say. I've said this to many of you before. We have a difficult message to communicate in the message of the gospel, right? You're a sinner, I'm a what? You're a sinner. All of us are. We're all sinners. It's a a difficult message to communicate. So as we communicate it, we want to communicate it in love. Why am I telling you you that you're a sinner? Because I don't want you to spend eternity in a place called hell. I want you to know that there's a solution to the problem of sin. And there's only one solution. That solution is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to save you from your sins, to save you from the wages of sin, which is death, and to give you everlasting life. Because I love you, I want you to know that. So it's important that when we speak, we don't speak evil. 
We don't speak mean things. You see, this list of things that Peter has communicated to us are things that the child of God should strive to remove from their life. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, this is really hard. How can I hope to live like this? Well, Peter reveals that the good news for us. How do I live in a way that doesn't include evil speaking? That's the the first part of verse 2. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. We need to realize our dependence on the word. You and I, we need to realize our dependence on the word. Peter is painting a very clear picture here for Jesus' followers. After a baby is born, there are a few things that they will do in the hospital for a baby, like they might suction out the stuff that's in its mouth. Uh, They might clean it up a little bit. But then what do they do? They give straight away, they give the baby to the mom. And the hope is that the baby will start feeding right away from the mom. (coughs) Excuse me. You know why they do that? Because the milk they get from their mom is the only thing that meets the needs of the baby. Especially in Peter's day. You couldn't go to the store and buy Similac or Enfamil in Peter's day. If the mom couldn't feed, you know what they had? They had a nursemaid. And the nursemaid fed the baby. Okay, That mother's milk, that milk that came from inside the mom, is what satisfied the baby. Here's a quote from John MacArthur that helps us understand just how strong a believer's longing for God's word should be. It says, that soul and desperate hunger for milk is the newborn's first expressed longing designed by God to correspond to their greatest need. And it illustrates how strongly believers ought to desire the word. Now, I've had the privilege of being a dad, and I have the privilege now of being a grandpa. And I love babies. I love newborn babies. I, I, I love to be able to hold them. I love to, love to be able to console them. Uh, I uh, will take the babies when they're newly born And if mommy's not around and there seems to be no way to satisfy them, I have a way that I like to hold them and I rub their back and I let them suck on my finger. And I I don't know if I'm bragging or I think too much of myself, but I usually can get Esme or Thea to to go to sleep and and they just fall right asleep. But if, if they're hungry, as much as I try, There's nothing in this finger. And Esme doesn't take very long to figure that out. And she'll suck on it a little bit, and and she doesn't stop crying. If she's really hungry, and she has, there's only one way to meet that need, I got to give her back to mommy. It's the only way. She has that one desire. And grandpa can't meet that desire. As a child of God, that should be our desire. The word of God should be the same way that a baby loves to have that mother's milk. You and I should have that love for God's word. Mother's milk meets that need. For you and I, the word of God should be that which meets our need. Another worthwhile comment from MacArthur, he says this, it's notable what Peter did not command. Now pay attention here. It's notable what he did not command. He did not charge believers to read the word, 
to study the word, to meditate on the word, to teach the word, to preach the word, to search the word, or to memorize the word. All of those things are essential, and other passages do command believers to perform them. And I have a list of verses if you need them. However, Peter focused on the more foundational element which believers need before they will pursue any of those other things. A deep, continuous longing for the word of truth. That's what we need. We need to cultivate that desire in our lives. We certainly live in the age of information, don't we? You can find anything you want in a matter of seconds. This morning, Ben and I were talking about something, and he said, hey, there's a, there's a lawyer that is very uh, helpful to churches. Not that we need one at this moment. But anyway, uh, we were talking about something, and he says, his name, last name is Gibbs. What's his first name? And I said, yeah, I've heard him speak. And, and so we tried to think about it, and neither one of us could come up with the name. So I Googled Christian lawyer with the last name Gibbs. His name popped right up, David Gibbs. Yep, that's the name. We can find out whatever we want in a moment of time. A friend this week, a friend that we all know and love, and he will stand behind his pulpit next week, posted a meme on Facebook this week. Ben, I'm talking about you. That meme says, Do you remember before the internet that it was thought that the cause of collective stupidity was the lack of access to information? Well, it wasn't true. In fact, you know... (laughs) I, I, I won't say it. There's just as much stupidity out there today as there has ever been. It's not the lack of information that causes a person to be unintelligent. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who, who gives to all men abundantly, overflowingly. And he doesn't even give us a hard time when we ask. One more warning uh, comment from John, Mac- John MacArthur. In view of the postmodern culture's relentless output of informational junk food through radio, television, films, the internet, computer games, books, periodicals, and even so-called Christian pulpits, all of which cause spiritual malnourishment and dulls appetites for genuine spiritual food, Believers must commit to regular nourishment from God's word. Can I tell you that I have friends who post things on Facebook from places that I like, why in the world are you even looking at that stuff? Because I'll go and I'll look at their doctrinal statement, and it won't be anything that we believe. It will be so far from what we believe, and I say, why? Why do you go there? Why do you do that? Why do you put yourself through that kind of... And then it's good stuff, they'll say. I, I think I told you one time. In my last church, I, I was preaching a message and I referred to the, the fact that we shouldn't really get into Joel Olstein because he doesn't really use this book. You know, he'll, he'll stand up and he'll, he'll say all this stuff and he'll have you repeat after him. And then he sets his Bible down behind him and he doesn't look at it again for the rest of the message. So I, I, I mentioned that in a, in a sermon. And then one of the guys who actually happened to be a deacon came up to me afterwards and he said, Pastor, why did you give Joel Olstein such a hard time? I like him. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. I, re- I didn't really, at that moment in time, didn't know how to answer him. But you know what? He doesn't have the truth. 
I listened to him on a, on a nighttime show one time, and the host of the show asked him how to get saved, and he didn't have the answer. How many people were listening to that show on this well-known talk show presenter asked him the question, and he couldn't give an answer. Why? Because he doesn't live by the book. He's got lots of books out there. You can read them, but they're not going to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. MacArthur calls it. He hits the nail on the head. It leads to spiritual malnourishment. My friends, pick up this book, read it, study it, and apply it to your life. You'll be far better off than listening and looking to some of these people that are on the internet that have mega followings. I remember sitting in a church service in, at Grace Baptist Church in Tableview, South Africa, and we were talking about different things. And one of the men in the, in the church stood up and he said, Pastor, I just want to make this comment. We're never going to have a church of thousands of people here in our church building. And I said, okay, keep talking. He said, because you preach the truth. You preach the word of God. You stick to the word of God. You don't, you don't wander from it. You open God's word with us and you say, take your Bible and turn to this passage and then you tell us what the word of God says. The world doesn't like that. Well, you got that right. The Severson's pastor friend came and, and spent a, a Sunday with us we all enjoyed having him here. He asked me afterwards, he says, can, can I talk with you for a few minutes? So I said, sure. We went in the discipleship room, and he, he says to me, he says, Pastor, how come you don't have 500 people here? I looked at him, he says, you're preaching the word. He said, it's, it's good stuff. It's exactly what I would preach. He said, but, but there's empty seats. And I said, well, we don't have 500 people because it's preble. We're a small town, okay? But he agreed. He says, stick to the word. Don't stray from it. Don't get away from it. Let the word of God do what the word of God can do. So we don't want spiritual malnourishment in our church. We want people growing and knowing and loving Jesus and sharing that word with others. And we need to keep moving. We could could camp out here a long time. But let me just remind you and encourage you from the words of Peter that you and I must realize our dependence on the word of God and no one else. And can I say this? If a person stands behind this pulpit you can be sure that they're going to preach the word of God. If they don't, they won't be here very long. I wouldn't even be ashamed if somebody's preaching that which is not true in the middle of the message to get up and say, hey, it's not what we believe, please leave. But we've done our due diligence before we ask people to stand behind this pulpit. We make sure that they are are committed to preaching and teaching God's word. Anyway, let's move on. Why is God's word so important? Why must, we, why must we put such an emphasis on God's word? Well, because it helps us reach to be mature, reaching forth to maturity. Peter says that you may grow thereby. Can I ask you a question? Ben already knows the answer because he already mentioned it this morning. Um, but what is the goal of Christianity? 
What are you and I striving to achieve as a Christian? Any answers? Get to heaven? To what? To be like Jesus. That's hitting the nail on the head. You see, the goal of a child of God, the goal of a Christian is to become like Jesus. Now, let me just tell you this. We're not going to get there till we get to glory. So when we get to glory, 1 John chapter 3, you know, I've said this is my favorite verse, right? At least sometimes it is. There's so many of them that are my favorite. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will become like Jesus. The the goal, though, in the here and now, what do I want to do with my life now? I want to become more like Jesus. How do I do that? Well, Peter gives us the key. And the key is to, 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 to be in the word. If you want to become more like Jesus, you need to be in the word of God. You need to be reading the word of God. It's, it's the word that causes us to grow and mature and become like Jesus. Take you back to that picture of the baby and the mother's milk. In Peter's day, the only food for a newborn baby was the mother's milk or the milk of a mother. The baby nursed and grew. You see, the child of God feeds on the word of God and grows as a result of feeding on the word of God. Again, let me tell you the words of Jesus in John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, the Apostle Paul says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, we talked about evil speaking, right? Doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you do what? Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the what? The gospel that you heard, which I was, which has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I have, Paul, have become a minister. What is it that keeps us growing and steadfast? The word of God. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. Wow. Those are some pretty powerful people in the life of the church. Jesus is the founder of the church. He said, I will build my church. Paul preached the word of God to the Gentiles. Peter was the one who God used to establish the church. If it was good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for Peter, if it was good enough for Paul, it ought to be good enough for you and I. We need to accept it, hold fast to it, and let it be true in our lives. We're going to close out with this one. Remember the richness of the relationship. Remember the richness of the relationship. Verse 3, Peter says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We see this word if again. We've talked about this many times. And I've told you that that word should be translated since. Let me give you a little more information on this word if though. A little more technical explanation of why this word since should be translated if. If is a first class conditional participle introducing the facts or conditions necessary for a proposition to be true. Did that help you? No, Mark says no. Okay, it's, it, and, and I just put it in there just so I could tell you we've had a technical explanation. 
But if you see things in your life that are a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you know it's true. Since you know Jesus as your Savior, these things will be true. Since his readers, since Peter's readers had tasted or experienced the kindness, the goodness, the grace of the Lord in their conversion, they already knew how blessed and how wonderful the word is. You know the old saying, the proof of the pudding is in the... Maybe you don't know the old saying. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting or the eating. Okay? If you eat it and it tastes good, what's your response? That's good. I want more of it. I love the word in South Africa, Afrikaans word, lekker. Lekker. If you have a good meal, you say, that was lekker kos. Dit smak lekker. Love it. Can't have enough of it. Can I have some more? Bring on the burvos. The milk tart. The turkey. We talked, I already asked you this morning, did you get enough to eat last night? By the way, did you taste, did you taste the desserts? The pumpkin rolls, the pumpkin cake, the pumpkin pie, the cookies. It was all good, wasn't it? How do you know it was good? Because you tasted it, right, Caleb? Because you ate it. Deacons and I had a text going earlier in the week. I sent him a picture of the two turkeys that I smoked. And Carl says, well, enjoy. I won't be able to be there. I have to work. So Paul says, that's okay, Paul. That's okay, Carl. I'll eat your share. So Paul said, or Carl said, that's okay, Paul. I ate your share of the pulled pork. (laughs) Going back to the summer. Going around, how do we know the food is good? Because we taste it. How do we know the word of God is what God says it is? Because we've seen it work in our lives. And we know that it's the only thing that works in our lives. What are some examples of that in scripture? I'm going to throw out four verses. I want four people quickly to find these verses and then just read them out loud. I don't think I put them on the screen, did I, Timothy? Psalm 116, verse 1. Psalm 116, verse 1. If you're going to read that, stand up right now for me. Psalm 106, verse 1. Psalm 106, verse 1. Ben, can we get that microphone ready? James 117. James chapter 1, verse 17. Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. Caleb stood up to read Psalm 116, verse 1. What are you reading, Scott? James 117. I need Psalm 106, verse 1. Who's got it? Caleb. And I need Psalm 34, verse 8. Who's got it for me? Quick, quick. Mark's got it. Okay, Caleb. Psalm 116, verse 1. Read it out loud, nice and loud for us. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. What what does he do for us? He answers prayer. He answers prayer. Psalm 106, verse 1. Who's got it? Psalm 106, verse 1. Caleb? 
praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord for his good. For he is good. For he is good. God is good. We know that he is good because we've seen his goodness in our own lives. It is proof of who God is and who he says he is. Scott, James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does he do? He gives good gifts. God gives good gifts. And we take those good gifts and we use those good gifts for his honor and his glory. We know he is a good gift giver because we've experienced it. Mark, Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You and I can taste, we can see, we understand, we've experienced the goodness of God in our life. It is proof. We don't need any other proof than God's work in our life. I am certain this morning that if we took time, each one of us could share of the blessings of being a child of God. We're not going to do that, but maybe you'll take some time this week to do that. You'll review your life. You'll see the goodness of God in your life, and you will know of the richness of the relationship of the working of the word in your life. I take you back to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says what? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word of God. Peter has built a case for us to understand how absolutely essential the word of God is in the life of the child of God. I don't think we can overstate the importance of the word of God. I was talking to someone last night who asked me what I was preaching through currently. I told him 1 Peter, and today we're starting 1 Peter chapter 2. As we talked about our study in 1 Peter, I told him that it was a real blessing to me to see how Peter, up to this point in 1 Peter, has put the focus on the absolute sufficiency and significance of Scripture for the child of God. As we leave this morning, let me encourage you to commit to that simple belief in the completeness of the Word of God in your life. You don't need anything else in order to know God's will for your life. Nothing besides the Word of God. It was good enough for Peter, it was good enough for Paul, and it was good enough for our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you know what? It's got to be good enough for us. Should be the sole desire of our heart. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning again after having spent time